Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we wanna make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you wanna speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now, we will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always. How many times should we rejoice? Always. It says, Pray without ceasing, and then in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how if you want to know what God's will is, it starts with learning to be thankful. That God's will and gratitude are interwoven. And so if you want to know what God's will is for your life, it begins by you figuring out how to be grateful in your life. Now what I love about this is not just this verse is spelling out what God's will is, but it's telling us some good, practical, how to live for Christ things. Rejoice always. It's easy to say, harder to live out, because there are those times where we don't feel like rejoicing. Maybe we have a lot of sorrow and loss going on in our life, and it just doesn't feel good to rejoice. But Paul's saying, hey, rejoice always. And I'm and I have to say, a lot of these letters he's writing, he's in prison. So for a guy to say, hey, rejoice always, and we're going to get to another part where he is uh, in the Philippian, or he's writing to the Philippian church in prison, and he says, rejoice always again, I say rejoice. But pray without ceasing. That means to never stop praying. And as a young believer, I thought, wow, I'm always like supposed to be like on my knees praying and like how am I supposed to get anything done? And I realize now in the maturity of my faith that we're supposed to have this ongoing connection with God that isn't just about going into your closet and getting on your knees and folding your hands and closing your eyes. That God wants to have an interactive relationship with us that's ongoing and it never stops. And then the last part is in everything, give thanks. Now giving thanks 
is a natural thing that takes place in our souls when we are directly benefited in some way. When there's some good outcome of our life, it's a natural thing to be thankful. Maybe even write a thank you card or do something like that. But notice here it's saying in everything, not just the things that benefit us, but in everything, in all seasons of your life, give thanks. Now there's a scripture in Hebrews that always has kind of uh, got me thinking about the idea of praise. Now we just sang some songs together, right? We call it praise and worship. A lot of times if you're you know, used to church culture, uh, you're used to people saying, hey, it's praise and worship time. And I like the scripture in Hebrews. It says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. The, the word praise there in Hebrew, it's yada. It, it's this term that, that means to really give thanks. But in this phrase, you have sacrifice and praise kind of being interwoven together, and they kind of seem like opposites. It's almost a paradox here. You know, it's, it's this idea that these two things don't really fit together because we're used to sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that costs you something. It, it, it costs you dearly. It's a sacrifice. There's a cost involved. But praise is this thankfulness that happens to your life when something benefits your life. And so this idea of a sacrifice of praise is really getting us to zero in on the space where God wants us dwelling in, and that is the ability to give thanks in the seasons of our life that it's actually costing us something. You know, it's easy to give thanks when the prayers are answered. It's easy to give thanks when you feel like God is there and he's protecting you and he's watching out for you and things are going right and, and according to the plan that you kind of laid out. But then there are those times that happen and they happen to all of our lives where things don't seem to be going the way we've been praying for them to go. The medical test comes back positive. The spouse, you know, files for a divorce. The child says, I don't want God, I want you know, drugs and alcohol, and I'm going to go and live however I want to live. And there are those seasons of our life that we go through personally as well as a community where it's just like, man, God, it feels like you're not even around anymore. And it's in those seasons of our life that it becomes a sacrifice of praise. That here, I don't feel like coming and being grateful because things aren't benefiting me, benefiting my family, benefiting our community. And God says, that is the exact time that you do need to be thanking me. And there's a story. Well, let me back up for a minute. I, I, I want to give you this, this psalm because, you know, David had a lot of times in, in this space of darkness when things weren't going the way he thought they should go. And he writes this, he's giving thanks to the sacrifice that honors me and I, I will surely save all who obey me. Giving thanks is the sacrifice that honors me. So somehow in those dark spaces, in those seasons of life that happen to all of us, that God is on the move doing things that we cannot see with our human capacity. 
where there's this built-in trust that he wants us to have that he's an all-good God and that no matter how much the darkness is, his light will always punch out the darkness. And it's that we need to celebrate. It's that that we need to know that God always wins at the end. And he's saying, trust me. And then when you honor me like that, that's when breakthrough happens for your life. In Acts chapter 16, there's this crazy story where the Apostle Paul was an evangelist and he's going and he's spreading the message of Jesus and the hope of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus to all the Jews and all the Gentiles alike. And it was getting him in trouble. And everywhere he would go, there would either be a revival or a riot. And the Jews at the time were not into this message that Jesus was the Messiah because they had just crucified him. So they didn't want to sign their name to that. And so they were the main ones trying to get Paul to shut his mouth. And so it lands him in prison like it did very often. And he's in prison this time. And they heard about these Christians that sometimes they had these miraculous uh, escapes that nobody can explain. And so what, in this particular time he gets arrested, they put him in the jail and they tell the jailer, hey, we've heard about these guys. They're, they're sneaky. And they can escape. So you do your job. Or else if he gets out, it's your life for his life. So that's kind of how they, they told this jailer. And it says, and the jailer, having received such a command, threw Paul and Silas in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, say with me, but about midnight. That's key. Because midnight is a representation of the darkest part of the night. But about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I mean, just let me paint this picture, okay? Now, some of you have the experience of, you know what it's like to be incarcerated. All right, I heard a couple stories this week from some of you. I'm like, what? There's some stories in this building right here. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just still getting to know everybody, all right? And don't worry, we background all of the people working with the kids, all right? So you're like, who's working with my kids? So here, Paul and Silas, they're incarcerated. They're behind bars. And not only that, now they're chained up. And I know you guys have seen the, the images uh, of the prisoners chained up on the wall. If not, you know, you've been through Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland. You see the skeleton guy. He's on, you know, he's, he's in the stocks. And, and he's there. And Paul and Silas are at their darkest moment. I call it their midnight moment. And Paul is over there telling Silas, hey Silas, give me a beat. <laughs> what? Yeah, man, let's sing. How about God's not dead? God's not dead, he's surely alive. Can't you, can you imagine that mentality that you, you should be in a, in, a, in a space where you're bummed out. Nothing is going the way you want it to go. You feel like God has forgotten you. Like you stepped out in faith to do some things thinking like you were going to win the world. And the world now has turned against you and is just basically wanting you to die. And Paul is in that space, in that moment, saying, I want to sing some songs. Folks. That is the kind of attitude that honors God and also brings you a breakthrough. Because check out the rest of the story. It says, and suddenly 
there came a great earthquake that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself for we're all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because let me tell you, your attitude at your darkest moment becomes the greatest light for somebody else that is also in a dark moment. So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And it says, and the jailer brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. I don't know, maybe minutes or hours before, Paul is shackled up on the wall, and now he is eating at the table of the very one who had incarcerated him. Only God is capable of taking your midnight moment and turning it on its head and making it the brightest part of your day. That's what happened with Paul, because not only did it turn his day around, it actually saved a whole entire family. We don't know what was going on with the jailer's family at the time. Maybe he was going through his own personal crisis. Maybe he was in his midlife crisis. Maybe he was trying to figure out, why am I a jailer? Maybe I was supposed to be a doctor. I'd, we don't know what space he was in. But, but somehow, God knew, and God used Paul's trial, his darkest, what I call his midnight moment, as a place, as a launching pad for great ministry. And that's what God does a lot. I, I don't know if you've had a midnight moment in your life. I've had a plethora of them. But the one that kind of stands out to me most recent was uh, last year, Labor Day. This is 2017, I guess two Labor Days ago. We were hanging out at our house in Bakersfield and we get that call at night that no parent wants to get and that our daughters were involved in an accident coming back from Ventura. And of course, you know, an accident on the freeway is never gonna be a small accident typically. And so my wife is translating this, she's crying and I'm trying to figure out what's going on and I'm talking to my daughter. So my daughters were like, dad, we're okay, but we're hurting, the ambulance is here, we're going to the hospital in Santa Clarita and, and I'm in Bakersfield, I'm like, okay, I'm getting my stuff. And, and I had an hour to go and think about all the, the crazy stuff that's going on, right? And, and when you're thinking about the severity of a situation, we never minimize it. We always maximize the severity, don't we? It's like, oh my gosh, they're dying, internal bleeding. And, and I'm a little bit better than my wife, uh, so we feed each other in those spaces. But we're, we're there and we're driving down and, and uh, I, I'm taking care of my daughters and, and it's just a surreal feeling seeing your kids on you know, uh, the gurneys and, and x-rays and te testing them out. And, and it was just, this thought came over me. I, I'm a pastor, I've done several funerals. I've done probably 100 or so funerals and I, and I understand that 
that life is really fragile. Even though it feels like it's gonna go forever, it's really fragile. In one moment, you're just gone. And I'm going, wow, man, my, my, both my daughters could be gone right now. And, and it's a, just a surreal feeling. They, they turned out to be okay, and God's hand was on them. But in that season of, of life and driving down there, I didn't know what condition they were in. But you know what I did? I turned my radio on, and I began playing worship music. And I began claiming to God, saying, I don't know the severity of this situation, God, but I know one thing, that you stand above anything that happens on this earth. And so I'm trusting you right now over anything that I see with my eyeballs here on this earth. And I just fixed my eyes on him, and I just began just worshiping in that space, and I'm telling you, breakthrough was happening. And I'm not gonna say that ended up healing my daughters or whatever that, but I will tell you, it healed my heart because my heart was going into a dark place in that moment, and I needed a personal breakthrough so that thing didn't drag me in because those midnight moments have the capacity to throw you in a pit to make your soul feel like there's never going to be another day of your life where you're gonna be out of this pit. That's what I'm talking about. Have you had one of those moments? Maybe you're walking through a moment right now. Maybe you, you know one of these families that have been impacted by the shooting or the fire directly and you're just seeing this thing unravel and you're just like, man, how can I praise God in this season uh, of, of loss, in the season uh, of hardship that is going on? And the bottom line is it's, it's not easy. That's why it's a sacrifice. You have to make a decision with your own will to say, I am going to praise God even though right now I don't feel very much like praising God. See, God didn't give Paul anything he hasn't given to us. Paul simply was tapping into God's kingdom, I think, better than a lot of us do. He had the same Holy Spirit that we have, but yet he was tapping into it in a whole different way. L let me give you the three reasons why I believe it's imperative to be grateful in your midnight moment. Let me give you these, and, I, and I'll put these on the screen. You guys can take notes if you want. But number one, it keeps me continually aware of the presence of God. When I'm praising God, it's keeping God in the situation. Because if you've been in a midnight moment, that thing can be screaming at you so loud, that's all you start seeing in your life. Things can get really fuzzy really quick. Your job, your family, everything that is not in that midnight moment, everything just kind of phases out. So it's essential that we keep in alignment and keep reaching out for the presence of God so we can see God in the midst of this. Because what happens is, with our problem, we, the thing gets out of sync and we always scale up our problem. We never scale down the problem. The problem always is bigger than what it really is. It's never smaller, right? Now, I don't know if you, you know, most people I should say are like that. You know, we're worst case scenario in everything. And so what happens is when we start magnifying God in that space, what we, what we do is we properly scale down the problem that we're facing. This is what it means to magnify God. This is what I believe David really was good at in Psalm 34, verses one through three. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make 
its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We know the idea of magnification, that it makes things larger than they really are. But when we're magnifying God, we're actually putting God in his proper perspective and what's happening when we see God for how big he is, we will start seeing our problems for how small they are in comparison to how big he is. Does that make sense? It, it, it keeps the scale in order. It keeps you from feeling like this problem is going to put you in this pit and put you in this darkness for the rest of your life because God is greater than the darkness. So, so often we focus on the difficulty and we stop being aware of the magnitude of the glory of God. Number two is it reminds me of the mighty acts of God, both biblically and personally. What I mean by that is one of the reasons we have these Bibles that we study the Bible is it's supposed to help our faith. It's, it's supposed to help us when we get into situations in life that we read these mighty acts of God, how this whole group of people were faced with all of this opposition and they had no way out and God parted the Red Sea so they would have a way where there seemed to be no way. And stories like that are in the Bible because inevitably in all of our lives we will end up in a position where we feel stuck and the same God that made a way where there seemed to be no way for the Israelites is the same God that will show up in your life and make a way that seems to be no way. It's to encourage you. Matter of fact, there's a whole psalm in Psalm 105. It just goes through the mighty deeds of God one after another. Why? To encourage everybody. Because everybody goes through midnight moments and get really discouraged. So it's important that we're studying the word of God and we're reminding our soul of the mighty acts of God in the past so that we will know the same God that did the mighty acts in the past is the same God that is capable of doing mighty acts in the present. We have to remember that. So the scriptures tell us these stories to remind our souls. But also there's those experiences that we have personally where God showed up in the past. And here's the problem. We forget the things that we ought to remember and we remember the things we ought to forget. That's the problem. <laughs> and the things that God has given us breakthrough before, a week goes by and we forget it. That's why, you know, I have a, a, a running log on my notepad on my iPhone of all of the ways that God has met me in situations where I just saw his hand do things. I call them God stories. And if you have a smartphone and you have one of those little notepad apps, keep a running notepad of the simplest, littlest, smallest ways God shows up and as Scotty says, he winks at you. It's called a God wink. And everybody has God winks happen in your week. But if you don't write them down next week, you're going to go back and go, man, Lord, I need you to come through for me. I need you to come through for me. I can't remember a time where you ever came through for me. God's like, oh, yeah? Go to your notepad. Go look at all of the ways that I've come through for you before. Remind you of something. Because, see, the more you're reminded of the faithfulness of God, even in our midnight moments, from midnight moments past, what it will do is it will encourage your soul that God is the great converter. As a matter of fact, I have this slide. I don't know if this resonates with anybody. 
but this slide says Jesus is the great commander. I mean, he, he lived a life that he really wants us to live. So not only did he come to this world to die for your sin so that we could be made right with God, but he also came to be an example for us. Saying, if you really wanna know how to be a great human being, then live like I've lived. So Jesus is a great commander saying, follow me. That's why I don't like the term Christian. I love the term follower of Christ. Because he's our great commander. If you just simply follow Jesus in your life, man, you're gonna be a person other people are gonna wanna be around. Why do I know that? Because everybody wanted to be around Jesus. Well, except the religious people. They didn't care for him too much. So if you're really following Jesus well, how will you know it? All the religious people probably won't like you. <laughs> but the people that aren't religious will really wanna be around you. That's another sermon, all right? Um, the Spirit is the great comforter. The Holy Spirit was given to us to help us, to comfort us, to connect us with the peace that only God can give us. That's why when, when he's on the move in your life, how do you know it? You have a peace that passes all understanding that's in your heart and that's in your mind. So he's our great comforter, but God is the great converter. In other words, God is the one that makes beauty from ashes. He's the one that can take your most horrible midnight moment, put it in his machine of conversion, and then that horrible moment becomes the biggest breakthrough that your life could have ever experienced. The turnaround milestone marker for your life. How do I know this? Because the pages of the Bible are filled with God's conversion abilities how we can take something that was meant for harm and turn around and make it for good. The story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 where his brothers try to sell him off in slavery and, and forget him for dead, but he comes back and he forgives his brothers because he says, for what you meant for my harm, God meant for my good. God is not the author of evil, but he is the converter of good. So whatever horrible moment you have went through, whether it's self-inflicted or world-inflicted. I have seen the hand of God take stuff that is so dark and so bleak, and then he turns it around and he uses it to do amazing, beautiful things in somebody's life. I've seen it over and over and over again. The, fire, the Thomas fire, Sean took a picture. I didn't bring it, but we saw these beautiful red poppies come out last spring and I was like, what are these poppies all over the hill? And Sean had them all over his backyard. He said, uh, a hoarder, what do you call those guys? Horticulturalist, it's hard to say. Um, but these guys that study plants say the, the debris was so heavy and thick, the brush was so heavy and thick on the ground that these, seed, these poppy seeds were there, but they couldn't bloom because of the, the roughage that was all over that. But when that all got burned away, they had the ability to get the sunlight for the first time in a long time, and so they sprang up in the midst of all of the burned ashes where these beautiful red poppies all over the hills by Santa Barbara. I'm telling you, God is the one that makes beauty from ashes, and he is the great converter. One of the things that I was reminded about, uh, matter of fact, uh, I think it was Brent that reminded me of the story of Corey Timboom, who was a Holocaust survivor, and her and her family 
rescued a bunch of Jews in Holland and they were caught for it and they had to be in prison just like the Jews were at the time. And she wrote a book called The Hiding Place where she recounts this amazing story of how God makes beauty from ashes. She says, Barracks 8 was in the quarantine compound. Next to us, perhaps as a deliberate warning to newcomers, were located the punishment barracks. From there all day long and often into the night came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of a cruelty altogether detached. Uh, Blows landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace. Yet in the midst of the suffering, the women prisoners around Corey and Betsy found comfort in the little Bible studies they held in the barracks. Corey writes, they gathered around the Bible like waifs clustered around a blazing fire. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. When they were moved to barracks 28, Corey was horrified by the, by the fact that their reeking straw bed platforms swarmed with fleas. How could they live in such a place? It was Betsy who discovered God's answer as she read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. She says, rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barrack. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, and they thank God for the fact that they were together. They thank God that they had a Bible. They even thank God for the horrible crowds of prisoners that more people would be able to hear God's word. And then Betsy thanked God for the fleas. The fleas? That was too much, Betsy. There's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between tiers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas, but this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. It turned out that Betsy was not wrong. The fleas were a nuisance, but a blessing after all. The women were able to have Bible studies in the barracks with a great deal of freedom, never bothered by supervisors coming in and harassing them. They finally discovered that it was the fleas that kept these supervisors out. Through those fleas, God protected the women from abuse and harassment, and dozens of desperate women were free to hear the comforting, hope-giving word of God through Corey and Betsy. Thank God for the fleas. Now, I, I don't know if you're here this morning and you've got some fleas in your life, but I'm here to tell you and to testify to you that even though the fleas are horrible, God can use something as nasty as a flea to actually give you some blessings that you can't see right now in the rubble of what you're walking through. And I really do believe in Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, you tell somebody that just had a tragedy in their life, that verse, and it just like falls on deaf ears. They don't understand that. But now that we're in this place of healing, I can tell you that it, it's not because you know, God uses these situations and good comes out of it. He says, no, when you trust me and you allow me to move through the darkness, I will eventually make good out of the bad. I will make beauty from the ashes. Now, I will tell you this story, and I gotta get you guys uh, some more worship, but 
Uh, one of the stories in Vegas that, that always sticks out in my mind is we moved from the location we were at when we first started, and we, we grew out of the building, we moved to a new building. And the first day of renovating this shoe store building that we moved into, I got a call the next morning. They had delivered all the, the, the supplies for the construction, and I, and, and I got this call. Somebody broke in last night and stole all of the building materials, but not only did that, did they do that? They got into the existing wire of the building and stripped it all because of the copper. So they took what was equivalent to about $300 street value in copper and caused $120,000 of damage. We were gonna have to rewire the whole entire building. And I looked up at God and I said, God, how can good come out of this? And I started praying because I was super discouraged. I was like, man, this is not cool. Right? I started rebuking the, the thief that took it. God, make him sick right now. You know, I just, I was mad. But I'm like, Lord, just how are you going to make good out of this? And, and we went and we prayed as a staff. And the news got a hold of the story. And they came out and they wanted to talk about, you know, this, this copper theft that came and, and did the damage. So we were up there and we were talking about the, the theft and, and how we're starting this new church in this area of, of town that's kind of being forgotten about in Vegas and all these news cameras are out there. We're doing all these interviews. And, and pretty soon, like, our church is popping up all over Las Vegas. You know, this new church and this thing. We had donations coming in all over the place. Every dime that that damage cost us was, was uh, given to us through donations from our electrician friend and some other materials that heard, uh, materials people that heard about our story. But not only that, the first week we were open, we had all of these people visiting our church and we'd ask them, how'd you hear about our church? They said, well, remember when the copper theft happened and you were all over the news? I was like, hey, that church is right by my house. And I didn't even know there was a church that was gonna move in here. So what the enemy meant to discourage us, God ended up putting it in his converter and made it this amazing testimony of our new church building. I thought that was cool. Let me give you two things uh, as, as I gave you the why. Let me give you the how. I'm sorry, guys. Make a choice to rejoice. Philippians 4.4. And, and uh, you guys, the band can come up here. Philippians 4.4, because I'm out of time. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I talked to you guys about this before. It's an attitude. You have to decide what your response is going to be. Because here's, here's the reality of... Um, of where we're at is when we get into a situation that is really dark and it really feels like there's no way out of it, God is gonna turn up something good and he's gonna take this situation with our attitude and he's gonna make it good. But it's about attitude. Paul's writing this from a, from a jail cell saying, hey, make a choice to rejoice and this is how you will change your attitude. An attitude of gratitude, remember this a couple weeks ago, changes the altitude of your life. So make a choice to rejoice. And here's the second thing. How do we do this is we simply, you want to put that slide up there, we simply accept that heaven is your home. Accept it. This world is gnarly. It's dark, it's evil, it's cruel, it's painful. There's loss, suffering, and hardship. But there's something in the midst of this world that God wants us to connect with, and that's him. 
And he wants us to connect with him so that we will be ready for what is real life, and that is the life to come. That heaven is our home. In, in John chapter 14, he says this. He says, don't be worried and upset, Jesus told them. Believe in God and believe also in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and some of the college students that came home this weekend, they were like so rejoicing, like mm, home-cooked food, no dorm food, like a weekend. Like I remember a freshman, being a freshman in college, just like I could wait for Thanksgiving weekend just for that home-cooked food. If you, if you know somebody that's ever been deployed overseas for the military, I mean, those guys are counting down days till they get home. I remember being in Africa and I was away from my home for about 12 days, and I was like, man, I miss home. There's something about home. Maybe it's the bed, maybe it's the cooked food, maybe it's just the love of loved ones, but you know when you're staying somewhere that it's a temporary position, that there's a homeland waiting for you, and you can't wait to get there. And God wants to be so real in our soul so that when these dark times come, they're just little reminders that this isn't home. Peter, the other day I was reading the book of 1 Peter, it says that, that our stay here on earth, meaning that there's a check-in time and there's a check-out time. And their check-out time means that we get to go home. So when you really get your mindset fixed on that idea, it'll make the darkest moment here a little bit more hopeful because in heaven, there is no darkness. In heaven, there is no sorrow. In heaven, there are no tears. And that's our home. And may these midnight moments here just be a gentle reminder that this isn't home. God has prepared a place for you that one day all of this is gonna be done and you're gonna be able to enjoy home. Let's pray. Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.